had to rethink everything about how we do business. Automation will put 45 million people out of work. By We're already paying the price of ignoring climate change. Companies perform better with diverse boards. Change is coming. From Fortune Media, this is reInvent, a podcast about fighting to thrive in a world turned upside down. I'm Beth Coet, Fortune Senior Editor. And I'm Jeff Colvin, also a Fortune Senior Editor. Zoom has been a vital part of our daily lives over the past two years. We've used it to meet with coworkers, celebrate family events, and to attend concerts and yoga classes while the world shut down around us. But now that the world is opening back up, people are returning to the office and to life in person. Can Zoom stay relevant as this happens? And as it works to do so, can it compete with bigger companies like Microsoft and Google? On this episode of reInvent, we'll answer those questions and raise a few more along the way. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Shares of Zoom hitting a new high in this session. That stock up about 4%. In terms of the quarter, the company crushed it, but they just were a victim of their own success. Revs uh, fell well short of buy set expectations. Zoom is never going to put up those world-beating quarters like they did last year during the heights of the pandemic. But overall, looking at the numbers, not as bad as fears. It's what is Zoom going to be doing in a post-pandemic future? Beth, it seems right that our final episode of season two of reInvent is about Zoom. I mean, Zoom was such and has been such a huge presence in the pandemic. There were other services out there for doing these online meetings, but Zoom seemed to be the one responsible for keeping us connected while we've been physically apart. Definitely, Jeff. I mean, Zoom as a service and as a word now has just a consistent place in the zeitgeist. It really transcended office life and became just such a part of how we lived and work. I attended a Zoom wedding. I went to a Zoom trivia night. You know, I just think that this became so critical to trying to maintain any sense of normality that we had. And I think part of that was it was just easy to use, right? It didn't require... Um, that you download certain software or that you have a particular type of computer. It was really just ease of use in, in a lot of ways. I remember a long, long time ago in the early days of the internet, uh, one of the original pioneers, Robert Pittman, who was uh, for a time the chief of AOL, who said, ease of use equals use. And that has proved to be true time and again, nowhere more so than with Zoom. I can tell you that Zoom stats, both its number of users and its stock performance, have really tracked the pandemic. So December 2019, pre-pandemic, Zoom had about 10 million daily users. A year later, December of 2020, Zoom reported 350 million daily meeting participants. Now, we haven't seen user numbers for 2021 yet, but we do know the company saw usage drop 17% in August as offices began to reopen. 
And Zoom stock has dropped 37% over the course of the year after a unbelievable 400% surge in 2020. And on top of that, Zoom's main competitors, big companies like Microsoft, Google, and Cisco, have had time to update their video products and gain some real traction in the market. Yeah, even though the stock is way down and usage is down at least somewhat, Zoom still looks like a tremendously successful company. They just reported third quarter earnings. And if all you did was look at that, you would say, this is a huge growth company. But the fact is, these other companies, Microsoft, Google, Cisco, they're way, way bigger than Zoom. And they have seen the power of what Zoom uncovered. And this is now the great big challenge for Zoom. It had a great pandemic. Can it stand up when the big guys of this industry are coming after it? I think there's also this lingering question of what does it mean as we return to the office? So you've got competition on one side, and then I think this issue of will Zoom continue to be part of the way we work going forward? Right. Online meetings are here to stay, but are they going to be Zoom online meetings? Beth, we're focusing on how Zoom will stay relevant as the world moves forward. But I'm curious, how did Zoom get here in the first place? What groundwork did it lay to enable such massive success when the pandemic came along? Jeff, I do think knowing a little bit about where Zoom has been will help make sense of where it's going. So Zoom is 10 years old, so a relatively new company. CEO Eric Yuan was the VP of engineering for what became Cisco's WebEx service from 2007 to 2011. Yuan remembers being unhappy with the choppy service and the slow connection that WebEx offered at the time. And he pitched an idea for a cloud-based video conferencing service to Cisco in 2010, and they turned it down. Here's a clip of Yuan talking to Bloomberg's Emily Chang in 2018 about why he left Cisco to start Zoom. I was work, working very hard to make WebEx better. Guess what? You know, 13 years later, I did not see a single happy WebEx customer. I feel like I have an obligation to fix that problem. But Cisco is a great company, but it was unwilling to change its collaboration strategy back then. I had no choice but to leave to fix the problem. When Zoom's 1.0 version launched in 2013, analysts and CEOs alike were wary of the tiny Bay Area startup that was trying to take on massive video conferencing services like Skype and WebEx. But Zoom offered several unique advantages. It was smart enough that users didn't need different versions for PCs and Macs. It could operate with slow or spotty connections, and meetings could be started by anyone, anywhere, with just a click of a button. Zoom passed 1 million users by May 2013, only five months after its launch. The company continued to grow steadily in users and in value until one explosive day in March of 2020 when the service was downloaded 2 million times. Mike Fashani, the research director for digital workplace applications at Gartner, explained how Zoom's existing reputation set it up to be the go-to video conferencing service in the pandemic. It's free. You don't have to sign up for Office 365. You don't have to sign up for Gmail. You can just, you can just use Zoom anytime, anywhere. It's easy to use, it's easy to buy. So they really took a lot of the friction out of it. That's its primary benefit. 
ultimately and why it's been so wildly, wildly successful. Well, so it's pretty easy to see why the ease of use made it so popular. But what happens now that people are interacting in the real world again? I spoke about this with Zoom's chief product officer, Odette Gall, who was one of Zoom's first employees joining Eric Yuan from WebEx in 2011. He predicts that Zoom will still be a big part of our lives. We've basically created a kind of a habit and the idea of not needing to really meet someone face to face every time has resonated. If you think about what it was like three years ago, if you asked a lawyer, can we meet and discuss a contract? They would uh, send you a phone number and a word attachment and discuss it on the phone, or you had to come physically to the office of that lawyer. Now, those lawyers are open to this kind of communication methods and uh, will happily jump on a video call and share the screen for that same use case. And Odette thinks that not only will people get used to doing things over video, they'll prefer it over a face-to-face meeting. I think the idea of our approach is, in many cases, actually going online and having a Zoom interaction will be better than in person. And I used to use the example of online shopping where it used to be a plan B. If you couldn't find it in the store, you would go online to buy. Now it's the opposite. You first uh, look online and then if you have a special need, you will go to the store. Similar is happening in the meeting space, in communication space, where there are situations where an online meeting is actually better than in person. And we will add more and more capabilities to actually make it even better in that sense that we will use advanced technologies like AR and AI to make that meeting even more meaningful. Hello? Hi, Lisa. Paul from HR again. Cool hang-up. Just wanted to reiterate that working from home is no longer an option. Why are you doing this to me? Can't wait to see you bright and early on Monday. I'd leave now to avoid that painful commute. (laughs) I love that. That's a clip from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's hit comedy sketch show, 22 Minutes. The full sketch is a parody of the movie Scream, where the horror is returning to the office. And man, have a lot of people decided that They were living a horror, but they just didn't realize it until they stopped commuting and found how much time it gave them and how much more they got done. Uh, It's going to be hard getting them back in, at least in many cases. Yeah, I think people have real anxiety about this. You know, they haven't been used to having these social interactions with their colleagues for a long time. They have wardrobe anxiety. They have no idea what to wear. I, I think that these problems are are real for some people. Just a few years ago, it was almost unthinkable to imagine many office spaces empty, desolate, with many employees at home using Zoom. How did we get to this point where skits lampooning the return to the office are commonplace? Jeff, it's a great question. Debbie Lovich is managing director and senior partner at Boston Consulting Group, who leads the group's people strategy research. Debbie explained what the COVID-19 pandemic revealed about the nature of work. We learned that the unit of flexibility is the team and not the individual. 
right? Because, I mean, we've been trying to do flexible work for years and Yahoo and Best Buy and IBM all famously pulled the plug on their flexible work experiments. And what was wrong with that was because the individual was trying to work flexibly and they got organ rejected by the team because they weren't in the room, they couldn't get a word in edgewise. So this un- we learned that the unit of the team is when everyone on the team is all holding hands and working differently together, it works. I think many people, including leaders, agree with Debbie that the pandemic underscored the idea that work can work in many different ways. What does she think happens now? Well, Debbie sees the future of work as a series of four waves. Debbie considers most companies to be in waves one and two currently. The first wave is how and when do we get back to the office, right? How do we get back on premises? And that's a lot of do we force it, do we not? Do we mandate vaccinations or not? Do we do testing? The second phase was, okay, we're going to be hybrid. Okay, that's not a major aha. That felt like a big decision a year and a half ago, but the world's going to be hybrid. That's sort of like, duh. The third wave, which I think is the more interesting one, where a lot of organizations are now is, okay, going hybrid, that's easy to say, but how do you really make it work? How do we upskill leaders to form deep personal connections across distributed teams? And a lot there is also closing the divide between senior leaders and the rest of the organization. And we've seen in our research that there's a huge disconnect, a huge disconnect. Senior leaders want to go back for the most part, and their employees want much more flexibility. The fourth and by far the least explored and the most interesting is what else do we change about the way we work to take advantage of the learnings and take advantage of the realization that work was pretty silly and kind of broken. Uh, She's undoubtedly right about companies having to make adjustments. And I wonder if some companies are ready to do that. Does Debbie think that teams can work well together when some are at home and some people are in the office? Well, she brought up something that I think all of us have felt at one point or another during hybrid work. It's tough to make the people at home feel just as involved as those who are in the office. That's why flex work didn't work beforehand, because when everyone is in the room and they're dialed in, and I've been the person dialed in, your face is huge on the wall and all you see are tiny little heads, right? And you're not, you can't read the body language or the facial expressions when someone's rolling their eyes when you're talking, when the camera just goes to the speaker, right? It doesn't work. So first we should try to agree as a team. As I said, one of the key lessons is if the team agrees together about how they work, it'll work. If one person's working differently than the rest of the team, it's hard. So teams should agree what days are we together in person? What days are we together on screen? And try to avoid hybrid interactions as much as possible. This is exactly the kind of problem that Zoom is trying to address right now. Odette explained a feature his team's developed that is meant to give every person equal footing in a meeting, whether they're working alone at home or with a bunch of colleagues in the office. One that is specifically to the use case that you described is called Smart Gallery, where it actually maintains that uh, democratization of the meeting that happened uh, when everybody was home in the sense that Everyone is represented with a video stream on the gallery. And now with Smart Gallery, we're doing the same thing for people who are in the conference room and creating multiple streams by leveraging advanced technologies in the camera to really still continue 
that democratization and sending a separate stream for each member in the conference room. So I want to just take a second here to explain how this smart gallery would actually work in practice. So rather than just have a view, a single view of the conference room where maybe you have five people sitting around a conference room table, each person in the room would have their own cell on the screen. So you might have, you know, the two people who are working remotely would have their little boxes and then each person in that room would also have a box. So it's sort of an equalizer in a way. It sometimes seems like it's harder, still harder, to collaborate creatively when teams are in all different places than then when they're all still in the same room together. I'm thinking about the days of passing around notepads and scribbling on whiteboards. These are human interactions that actually build energy in a room, and I think that's all just lost online. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something I miss too. I think there is something about being physically present with your colleagues that allows you to have that connection, to read body language. That's just really hard to do over a screen. And you know, we're not the only two people who feel a little lost without a place to physically brainstorm. Mike, the Gartner analyst, noted that this is one of the top pieces of feedback he receives from his clients. There seemed to be a sort of collective aha moment that organizations all realized at or about the same time that said, okay, we can do virtual meetings. We can do now online meetings. We can all see one another and hear one another and share our files. But I have nowhere that I can draw out ideas. I have nowhere where I can actually ideate on the fly. I need something that will allow me to do that. And we have seen an incredible uptake of interest here at Gartner by our client base in pursuing this sort of collaboration canvas technology. It's, it's at least a tenfold you know, increase in interest. Small companies like Miro and Bluescape have their own very popular versions of these Canvas technology tools that he referred to, but they require companies to buy an additional app on top of whatever meeting service they already use. Zoom is actually working on this too. Uh, the company created its own version of this collaboration Canvas technology called the Zoom Whiteboard. Did Oded mention any other features Zoom was rolling out to make the hybrid work easier to navigate? He did, Jeff. You know, Zoom will offer live translation in 12 languages to enable communications on teams around the world. They're also working to expand app integration so that users can access things like Asana, notes apps, and calendars without leaving the Zoom platform. I think the idea that we are executing on is really building a platform rather than building just a meeting solution. So we're expanding to other communication modalities like uh, telephony and messaging and events. So we're expanding our portfolio, but we're also building a platform where customers can customize the experience themselves. But the larger thing is, look, there's this hierarchy of communications. The richest form of communications is in-person, face-to-face. If you can't do that, then there's video. There's Zoom or some other competing service. If you can't do that, there's a phone call. If you can't do that, there's email. If you can't do that, then there's a text message. That's the lowest, least rich method of communication. And in general, it's better, it seems to me, to be communicating at the richest possible level the question becomes, are we going to revert to less rich levels of communication, even when we don't have to? In other words, if we're all in an office, 
Are we going to email somebody who's two doors down the hallway rather than getting up there and going to talk to them in person? You know, I, I do wonder if maybe there is an outcome here that that falls in the middle where maybe we do rethink communication going to the extreme when it doesn't need to. Maybe we don't need to get on that 12-hour flight for that one-hour meeting. Um, so I think I think there are risks of going too far in either direction. Um, and maybe the pandemic will reset the way we think about technology overall in terms of our communications. Debbie has kind of an interesting take on this too. I think some of it is going to have to be norms and behaviors too, because technology could only do so much, right? Like keeping the meeting in the meeting when it's a hybrid meeting, which means the chit chat about the meeting topic that happens in a bathroom break or a lunch break, right? Well, then everyone on the phone loses out. And so you have to say, wait, let's keep it social. And then when you get back online, like maybe for the people on the phone, you have a norm of, okay, what did you learn about each other that we didn't hear during the break? Like even the social stuff, like can we share social? So you, you just have to think behaviorally how to keep it in addition to the technology. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But then there's Zoom Video. Once the hottest stock in the metaverse, omniverse, and universe. After this relentless decline, though, I'm starting to wonder, isn't there a real buying opportunity here? It's certainly, you know, a terrific hedge if you're worried that COVID won't go away. Let's hear what they have to say when Zoom reports on Monday night, but they get a lot of cash, they get a lot of opportunities, a lot of options. We'll make a judgment. That's Jim Cramer on his November 19th, 2021 episode of Mad Money. The earnings call Jim mentioned happened about two weeks ago on November 22nd. Jeff, what was your take on it? Well, my take was that by any normal set of measures, you'd say that this is a very successful company. I mean, there are little bits of info in there that were striking. For example, the number of customers that were paying over $100,000 each to Zoom over the past 12 months had doubled. You know, this is quite something considering they have millions of customers. So overall, it looks like a great report, even though it's not as great as it used to be. And so the quandary for investors is to say, overall, is this a good news story or a bad news story? It's a great question. And Mike Fashani had something to say about that. I mean, we saw about a four years worth of adoption of meeting applications and services take place in an 18 month period. So that is really an unprecedented growth curve and not one that's likely to continue. So I think there being a slowdown, a pullback, if you will, in adoption of these kinds of services completely makes sense. The question, though, is now is what additional legs, what additional opportunities are there for Zoom to pursue now that the meetings adoption is so saturated? Yeah, and the video meeting space is saturated. I can rattle off a few of Zoom's competitors that I have used myself. I mean, there's WebEx from Cisco. There's Teams from Microsoft. Those are the ones that seem to be 
coming up the most. And those are much bigger companies. And those companies are working hard on improving those apps. Right. And there's Google too. I mean, I think every big company, every big tech company knows this is a growing space and wants to have a piece of it. In Mike's work as Gartner's research director for workplace applications, he spends a lot of time using and comparing different meeting solution services while watching how they perform in the market. You know, Microsoft is number one by a fairly long margin. Cisco has been in place for a long time and has been a leader in this space for many, many years and is still highly sort of relevant, especially in public sector, in healthcare, in financial services, et cetera, where there is a a stronger need for a fully secure, highly sort of reliable platform. Google comes at it primarily from smaller businesses, education segment, and technology segment, and where there is a sort of preference for Google overall. And we'll tend to use the whole Google G Suite or workspace, you know, a suite of applications. And so Meet is there. Mike elaborated on the advantage Microsoft, Zoom's biggest competitor, might have. Microsoft is all about leveraging the broader Office 365, you know, set of capabilities. And Teams is much more than just a meetings application. Teams is the, really is the front door or let's say the UI into the rest of the Office 365 estate. So that puts it in a position of being, you know, I I would even say indispensable. But Mike also raised the point that Microsoft Teams has limitations, and many enterprise customers wind up using a second service like Zoom to meet their needs. Zoom more often gets invoked for more complex meeting types or use cases. So, for example, when meeting with partners, clients, when doctors want to do a telehealth visit, when teachers want to do virtual classroom, Zoom becomes the preferred option that sits alongside perhaps that organization's decision to adopt teams for their internal meetings. So there is this dual vendor outcome that is quite, quite common. I I would say... 80 to 85% of the time when talking to larger businesses, they have both a construct of Teams and something else, whether it be Zoom or WebEx or other products like that. But more often than not, it's Zoom that sits along their Teams adoption as well. What strikes me about what Mike has to say here is that Zoom might not be number one. In fact, it sounds clear that Zoom probably won't be the number one teleconference service. But if it's everybody's number two, that could be a very good position to have. There's room for quite a few players, or at least a handful of players in this space. And if Zoom is everybody's number two, that could actually work out very well for them. But how does Mike think Zoom can continue to be a leader in the space while also continuing to make money? Great question, Jeff. And as of right now, a lot of people use Zoom for free. Mike says Zoom needs to take a look at their free and free meme offerings while reconsidering how they measure success. I think the untold story is going to be on the consumer side. I think the enterprise side is more sort of predictable. I have to believe that you're going to see a a much greater focus on their ability to monetize their incredible popularity in the consumer segment. 
they're not just going to continue to give that away for free. There's too much sort of potential there for them. So whether that's going to be ad-based, uh, where they're going to start injecting ads into the video calls, or they're going to find ways to, to turn these into more sort of events, like, for instance, like a yoga class where you can pay to participate in the yoga class and the money flows back to the yoga instructor and maybe Zoom gets a piece. I think Mike makes a very valid point when he talks about the popularity of Zoom with individuals uh, everywhere. Did Mike say if he thought he'd be able to convince consumers who are used to using Zoom for free to start paying for it? Mike didn't have any specific predictions about that, but he feels very strongly about one thing. One thing that I've learned is we shouldn't doubt Zoom's ability to be successful. We haven't earned the right to doubt them. So let's, until sort of proven, you know, otherwise, let's just assume that they're going to figure out where they can really apply their strengths and capabilities, you know, into the right places like in the market. We went into this episode really interested in how these two factors were going to impact Zoom. You know, first, the competitive set, and second, the pandemic, um, and how the company's success has really ebbed and flowed its users um, as things have gotten better or worse. What does that look like now? You know, we're, we're hearing more and more about this new variant. What does that mean for the future of Zoom? As we sit here talking, the Omicron variant is of great concern, and the stock has actually gone up with news of that variant. And the stock will go back down once that variant uh, is subsiding. And then it's going to be all about Zoom versus the competition. And again, it's worth remembering that all those competitors are much, much bigger. They got way more money, way more people, and they are committed to succeeding. I mean, we're talking about the next two years. If we think about the next 20 years and the advances in virtual reality and the metaverse and uh, avatars and so forth, all I can say is I don't want to think about it. Right. Well, we recorded this podcast over Zoom. Maybe next time we will be doing this in the metaverse. Yeah. Eventually, it's inevitable. I look forward to seeing your avatar, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't given it much thought so far. This episode was produced by Alexis Haught and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold. Reinvent is a production of Fortune Media.